This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 9, Episode 3. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by KSG Armory Holsters. Today is Wednesday, July 19th, 2023. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by producer and co-host extraordinaire, Matthew Marister. I'm back once again, man. Yeah, what's up with you like disappearing last week and like going and doing other you know business related activities yeah i'm I'm expanding my uh my skill set i think that's what they call it at least expanding your skill set i like it <laughs> you, you actually attended a show what show was that uh it was nssf uh uh dealer range and dealer expo up in uh uh milwaukee yeah what'd you think of that it was good. It was interesting. Um, yeah, I, it was different. It's smaller than you know some of the other shows we've attended. But uh, I went with uh, one of my buddies who also works in the industry, um, and I'm good friends with him. He lives nearby, yeah, and he works for uh, HRT Tactical. And so we went up there and yeah, had some fun. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's cool. Right on. Well, we're glad to have you back. I'm glad you're able to go to that show. Folks, uh, today's episode, we're going to be talking about top tips for traveling with guns. It's uh, still, still, still technically the summer season. Uh, you know, we are in the middle of July, uh, and uh, before long, before we know it, will be in the fall season. Uh, but, uh, but you're still doing a lot of travel. I got a lot of travel still coming up. In fact, I'm leaving tomorrow, heading up to Montana for a two-day pistol intelligence course and so i'll be traveling yet again uh i'm well acquainted with traveling with a firearm whether it's flying with a firearm or driving or whatever you you got um that's what we're going to be here to talk about today to share with you uh the best practices and of course the as to best to the best of our ability the legal ways of doing so so that uh, you can stay out of trouble. We don't want anybody having trouble while traveling and trying to enjoy time with their families. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is the topic today. And while I'm mentioning it, we'll just throw in a quick disclaimer. Uh, we are not attorneys and we are not uh, officially recognized experts in the law, but this is something we deal with regularly and we will share the best of our ability our own experiences and knowledge with these topics but you should do your own research into the laws and regulations that govern travel or possession or carrying of a firearm particularly during your travel activities Uh, we'll try to point you to some resources as well for where you can learn more about that and so with that disclaimer out of the way today's episode is sponsored brought to you by ccw safe and our other episode sponsor is KSG Armory Holsters. You can find CCW Safe, CCWSafe.com, and KSG, of course, KSGArmory.com. Some separate sponsor messages here in a moment. We'll bring those to you. Uh, but uh, let's go ahead and get into our topic without further ado. And by the way, we appreciate some of you watching and commenting already. Eddie, who's watching from Mexico, I. I think I've seen you before, Eddie, and I, I, I'm guessing you're traveling to Mexico. Um, so 
you know, congrats, I guess, on travel. I hope it's a good time. And uh, yeah, so let's. I guess this episode might be specifically relevant to <laughs> Eddie, although I don't know of a legal way to travel in. Well, no, that's not quite true. Uh, there's probably one legal way of traveling to Mexico with a fire, and and that would be some sort of competition shooting waiver, uh, which you can do to a lot of um, international and foreign countries. Uh, most of them have some some sort of process whereby you can do that. And so, uh, you know what? Interesting thing, I guess, to start off by t- talking about travel with a firearm and specifically to foreign countries. Uh, I have not yet done it, but it's something I have researched and I have numerous friends that have done it as they've traveled internationally for various international competitions. And that is probably about the only way you'll be able to pull it off that I can think of for just about any foreign country. Uh, And there's paperwork you got to fill out for the country you're traveling to. And there's also paperwork you got to have ready to go for coming back into the U S and some of that basically involves that the firearm or firearms that you're traveling out of the U S with are the same firearms that you are traveling back into the U S so that, uh, you know, you're not importing anything new and you're not exporting anything that the firearm that you personally own that you left the country with is the same one you're coming back into the country with and the foreign country you're traveling to where they may not have even legal uh, like individual ownership and possession of firearms in the same way we have it here. Like some foreign countries, you can have a firearm, but it's got to be stored at a licensed and recognized shooting club. Like you can't even have it stored in your home. So recognize that there's situations like that. And you've got to comply with those laws of the country you're traveling to. Uh, But again, most of the time, that sort of thing is only going to be possible when uh, you're actually getting some kind of waiver for traveling out of the country to go shoot in in a recognized, uh, um, you know, competition type endeavor. So something kind of interesting and not something that most of our folks probably are doing. Uh, that are listening to this, but there may be a few of you, you never know. Um, I'd like to think that someday in my life, I'll have the opportunity to travel internationally to go and represent the U.S. and compete. We'll see if that opportunity ever presents itself. But uh, yeah, something that is possible to do, but is riddled with all kinds of exceptions and special laws in the laws of multiple countries involved that you got to follow and abide by. And it even gets interesting, Matthew, when you say like, I, a lot of my friends had to deal with this when they went to the world shoot in Thailand last uh, November, December, hmm. uh, where some of them had connecting flights in like Korea or yeah. Japan, but their end destination is Thailand. Right. And so like you had to have paperwork and stuff, you know, for, for that, you know? So um, yeah, like in Japan, you, there's not even, there's not an option for that I'm aware of at all for to like own a firearm or possess a firearm. So uh, you get you, there's there is ways through the various countries where there's paperwork you got to secure well in advance of like this is what I'm doing, this is where I'm going, this is what I'm do you know like this is the legal activity that I'm participating in and the reason for that and here's all the serial numbers and blah 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 blah. blah. So yeah, 
Can that's, you imagine doing that? <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. And and you know, as you were as you were saying this, I've never traveled internationally with a with the firearm. Um, but you've been considering issued, issued one internationally. Right. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Let me let me rephrase that. I didn't have to check anything when I was going or coming. Um, but, the Middle East. Yeah. But um, but like with the definition of firearm being you know so kind of ambiguous at times, you know, like um, what if you went to you know if you had two fire control units for you know a backup fire control unit for your P three twenty right. Um, obviously those are serialized, but I don't know, you know, when you're coming back, are they checking every serial number? Are they, it's just, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I assume there's some, uh, somebody there that knows what they're looking for and knows what they're checking rather than just, Hey, you have a gun in a case that seems to match and go about your way because there could be all kinds of janky stuff going on, but yeah, yeah it gets confusing, especially traveling overseas and, um, I would never want, I, I mean, I can only imagine being redirected on a flight to another country and then, you know, um, that would be, that would be a nightmare. Yeah. Could cause a, some, yeah, some, some headache potentially. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken from what I recall from, you know, seeing different like, posts or comments from friends that went to world shoot in Thailand last year, um, like, I don't think you could store your firearm in uh, like, I don't, I don't think they were able to have it with them in their hotel rooms. And so, and I know for a fact, like from the airport to like where you were staying or whatever, like you had to be like escorted <laughs> and stuff. So, um, yeah, you know, it's just interesting, you know, to see how there's these different laws and regulations in different countries and, it, but yet there's still like a way to put on this world-class uh, competition where people come in from all over the world, including from countries where they don't have second amendment type laws like we do here. And, and it's just, it's cool that that's still a possibility. I mean, we would love to see second men, second amendment principles and ideals proliferated even more so throughout the world and, and there be more freedom for everybody involved. But anyway, let's move on. Something more relevant to uh, right here in the U S so let's, I guess, let's talk first about the concept of reciprocity, Matthew. So mm-hmm. uh, you want to give a, a quick overview on that? I mean, I imagine that many of our viewers, listeners probably know a thing or two about mm-hmm. that, but be careful about what you think you know, because uh, I, I sometimes, you know, have conversations with people in my you know, daily activities or even in my travel as I get to, you know, know people in different uh, locations in the U.S. and different states, and or like I've even had conversations with people on a plane. You know, like I'm flying somewhere, and they're like, "Hey, you seem, you know, like you're a gun guy or something." You know, because maybe I'm sitting there, maybe I have a gun hat on, or or maybe I'm like I remember sitting on a plane once and reviewing a match video, like you know, for me shooting at a competition, and and guy next to me is like, "Oh, that looks pretty fun," you know, and we had a conversation, right? And people, I've heard comments made about you know, reciprocity that, and I usually, you know, I try to, where possible, correct things where the incorrect things are what's said. Um, but uh, I've definitely heard misconceptions with regards to reciprocity 
stated by people, including people that would consider themselves knowledgeable. So let's touch on reciprocity. Yeah. And and you hit it. Like most people know reciprocity, uh, you know, states that that, uh, have have an agreement to honor each other's uh, permit, gun permit, um, concealed carry permit. And um, it seems on face value, you know, you plug in your state on most of these websites and stuff, you plug in your state, it turns green or red, and you're like, oh, it's green, I'm good to go. Um, but sometimes there's some caveats to, you know, what they, um, what that entails. Um, you know, some states will accept a concealed carry permit, but only if it's a resident concealed carry permit or, you know, if it's an enhanced permit or um, these these, you know, change over time. So, um, you know, you might have had reciprocity last year and then this year new administration comes in there and say, hey, no, we're not going to honor that state's permit anymore. Um, so it's something that you have to keep abreast of, and it's not something that like, um, you know, you just, you should just plug in willy nilly or put it on a message board. Like, Hey, does so-and-so have reciprocity with this state? You know, uh, because you, you likely get some bad information. Um, and so you don't want to get, get into a problem with that, um. Yeah. And there's always like question, you know, I, I remember when Trump was running for president, they were talking about national reciprocity. And I even heard people after he got elected, you know, were saying like, hey, we got national reciprocity now. And it's like all the promises that, you know, politicians make, it, it seems like, OK, well, they must have done it or whatever. They start they forward a bill. It never goes anywhere. But, you know, so people think it's a law. So there's not national reciprocity. There's not, you know, you can't just get a permit in your own state and go across the state and every state will honor that permit. That's just not, it's not the case. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, So reciprocity, one thing though, is it's really important to stay abreast of changes with that because that can change uh, somewhat frequently. Sometimes we go, you know, through periods of time where it doesn't change quite as much. But like I know, just recently, uh, there's been several changes. You know, number of states. Uh, I don't remember all the specifics right now, but I know that like Florida had some changes. Uh, California um, was it Connecticut or something over in that part of the country in the new england area there was something that changed over that way so uh that's something that's uh, really important to stay on top of because uh, you know what you think today you know and it's really important if you live close to a neighboring state uh you definitely want to make sure that you're staying up to speed on any changes like that that, that may very much directly impact your ability to legally carry or continue to carry uh, in a state or in a jurisdiction that you uh, previously were able to. Uh, so, you know, one really good way of staying on top of that, it's something that we do our absolute best. Uh, I mean, there is a disclaimer on that page that says, hey, you know, we do our best, but there could be mistakes. Uh, but I'd like to think that, you know, we're, we're one of the leaders in the industry with this kind of thing. But you can always go to, I think just the short link is like concealedcarry.com forward slash reciprocity, which might be hard to spell, but it's reciprocity is R-E-C-I-P-R-O-C-I-T-Y. Uh, but I think that 
will, that short link, I think, will get you to our page with our reciprocity map builder. And I mean, we were one of the first uh, websites that had a resource like this that's interactive where you can select, and especially I think our, our approach to this has been kind of unique and somewhat innovative for some time because there were definitely websites that didn't get into the level of detail that ours does as far as generate generating these these reciprocity maps. And so, like, for instance, uh, let's just say that I'm a resident of, like, Nevada's a good one. All right, let's do Nevada. All right, what if I'm a resident of Nevada? And I could select that in our reciprocity map builder tool here. Oh, I should have been... I should have shared this on the screen, you know, like that's a good idea, right? Uh, let's see. Uh, for those of you that are watching anyway, um, I want to make sure I get the right page here for the state. Yeah, there we go. So let me, let me go ahead and actually refresh this page. So, um, so when you get on our page and by the way, I just noticed, I don't know when this changed because I don't think it was misspelled before, but we have a, we have a typo right here, Matthew. Yeah. Premit reciprocity map instead of permit. <laughs> I'll point that out to Jacob. I'm sure he'll get it sorted out. Um, but like, actually, there's a couple of notes here that are really good to know. Like, for instance, note, Wisconsin honors permits from certain states only when that permit was issued or renewed after a specific date. Please confirm the details for your state's permit for Wisconsin here. It takes you to a link on the official um, DOJ page on Wisconsin's um, state website. Okay. Cause you gotta, you gotta review that so that you know that you're good. Okay. So if I'm going to like, you were just in Wisconsin, right. You know, so mm -hmm. it'd be something that would have been relevant to, to you to know if you were issued or renewed after a specific date. Um, note that New York state permits are not valid in New York city. Um, and it's curious, you know, and actually the fact there is, is that uh, New York is just, there's just so much, I, I, there's obviously numerous court challenges and different things that are going on there anyway. So something to be aware of. Um, all right. So let's just say, suppose I selected, uh, I used Nevada as an, as an example a minute ago. Okay. And so I could click show map after I selected my respective state. And so this would show me the reciprocity for a Nevada permit. Okay. And so most of the middle of the country is represented green of states that have reciprocity or that honor my Nevada permit. Uh, but Colorado is one that's, that does not. Minnesota is one that does not. Illinois is one that's, that does not. Uh, South Carolina is one that does not. Um, so, you know, good to know about those things if you're kind of in the middle of the country or if you're doing a long road trip and things of that nature. Hmm. Uh, what about, uh, I don't know. So one thing that we do is we have both a state's permit like Montana or Montana enhanced because they have two different levels of permits, which typically mean classes that are longer duration or maybe their basic permit doesn't really have a live fire requirement, but the enhanced permit does have a live fire um, requirement as part of the training. And so if I got a Montana enhanced permit, you see most of the middle of the country is green, but New Mexico, Illinois, and South Carolina are red, so they do not honor a Montana enhanced permit. Let's see what, if anything, changes if I select just a regular Montana permit. Okay, a couple changes. And then that's interesting. Uh, actually, I think that's a mistake there because what I saw was Vermont actually switched from red to green and Vermont I think should always be green no matter what because yeah, we might have found a error right here right on the show live <laughs> um, 
yeah, Vermont shouldn't be red. I don't think if you have Montana enhanced permit because Montana or Vermont is a state that has constitutional carry. If you're in the state of Vermont, man, you just carry, man. Uh, but Minnesota is the big one here that changed to not honoring a Montana permit. If you had an enhanced one versus a non-enhanced one. So good stuff like that to know. So anyway, uh, there you go. A little bit about reciprocity. This is a good place, a good resource to come to see what reciprocity is. Again, we do our absolute best to keep this up to date. And there, although there is a note there, if you notice an inaccuracy, please contact us. All right. And we'll get after that right away. Um, but I do know we were just making updates on this in the last week or so, actually a couple of weeks ago, because quite often when states pass, you know, laws or whatnot that might impact or change reciprocity, um, a lot of times, it was, you know, it seems like a lot of state legislation goes into effect around July 1. Sometimes there's exceptions, but that's a common, you know, practice. Like we had a legislative session in the early part of the year, passed this law, this thing changed, that's going to go into effect July 1. And so we um, frequently notice a lot of changes happen around that time. So that's why I could tell you that just in the last few weeks, we've been updating some things as they have changed. So... Um, let's talk real quick about constitutional carry, uh, or carry without a permit, permitless carry is sometimes referred to. And so actually this brings up a, another, uh, uh, you know, I guess screen share here. I'll go ahead and show this because this is the map that basically shows current states that have constitutional carry or something like constitutional carry. Okay. And what you see here is what we're up to like 27 states, I think that have something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so all these green states here are constitutional carry states. Um, the, the thing there to, to know though, and this is good and you kind of need to research this um, on those various, you know, for those various individual states is that some states might actually say, Hey, this is, this law applies to residents of our state and not necessarily residents of other states when they visit here. Uh, or in some of the states, you know, like I was mentioning, I think Vermont is an example, and I think Wyoming is another example. Like constitutional carry is just the law of the land. doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, as long as you can lawfully possess a firearm, you're not, you know, violation of anything federally, you know, federal-wise as far as, you know, a felon permitting or possessing a firearm and so forth. Like, hey, you can carry in our state because we have constitutional carry. Uh, some of the new add-ons to this list are like Florida, that just went into effect, uh, I believe, this year. Um, what was another one that was fairly recent? Ohio, wasn't it? Uh, Ohio. Fairly recent. Was that yeah, last year? Yeah, fairly recent. Last year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think Arizona was fairly recent. So mm -hmm. I know there's been a couple others. There's been so many, though, which is a wonderful thing that it's kind of, you know, again, it's one of those things that be hard to to keep track of but it's good to know which those mm -hmm. states are but one thing we sometimes run to um, and i'd like to hear your thoughts on this matthew uh, i imagine that to go to that nssf show um recently that you drove there right right yeah so you would have left ohio driven through indiana and and then illinois and then ended up in milwaukee so mm -hmm. uh do you have a permit that allows you to carry a gun concealed in Illinois? No. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. So, so tell me about like, what is your strategy if you got to travel through a state 
or, or spend time in a state that you don't have reciprocity with. Yeah, it, it actually happened to me twice in the past couple of weeks. I also drew, drove out to uh, to Dulles Airport wash, outside of Washington, D.C., but uh, my path takes me through Maryland, a little part of Maryland, um, which mm. is obviously behind enemy lines again. So yeah. uh, I don't have reciprocity there either. So um, there's a couple things that you can do. Um, so I guess this, we can kind of talk about, um, what can you do when you're driving in your vehicle and you're going to a destination, but you have to pass through uh, a place where, um, where you don't have reciprocity. Um, there's a couple things you can do probably the, you know, the safest bet you can do is to unload the firearm, lock it up, um, in you know in the trunk or in, in in an area of the the vehicle that's not accessible and um and you'd be good to go this this uh it, you know there's there's a law um and i we've we wrote wrote an article um it's called it's called uh the the article is called interstate travel uh, understanding 926a of the firearm owner protection act which is a law that allows you to travel through uh, or transport a firearm through a place where you're not allowed necessarily to possess that firearm, um, provided it's unloaded and not accessible, um, and you're not staying there. Um, So you're passing through, you're traveling through. So I'm going to Minnesota where I do have reciprocity, but in Illinois, I don't. And I may stop in Illinois to get gas. Um, and, and that's a reasonable stop, but I can't, you know, stop and get a hotel and do all these things uh, and they can't be loaded. So that's that's the strategy, the legal route that you can go. And I'll let you kind of fill in the, the nuances and the detail about 926A and some of the I don't want to say problems with it, but some of the challenges and, and, and things with it. But that's that's the legal process by which you could you could get through. Um, or th- that yeah. I you know I would recommend. Yeah, you know, and, and since we actually mentioned Illinois as a specific example, uh, there is one cool thing about the state of Illinois with respect to this that I appreciate. Uh, I'm frankly amazed that it's even a part of their law. But what that is, is uh, that um, as, if you have a permit issued from your state that you are a resident of and you are passing through Illinois, as long as you are in your vehicle and traveling through the state, uh, you can you can conce- carry concealed. Uh, and so that's kind of cool, right? Because that's not true of some other states uh, that you would... Uh, you know, travel, uh, through, uh, that, you know, don't, doesn't like Maryland, I don't think has uh, an exception like that. Right. Yeah. And so, so that's actually, you know, since I have crisscrossed Illinois several times, and in fact, just this year, I've gone through Illinois, um, twice, uh, you know, on the road, uh, I have absolutely, you know, the nice thing there is, I mean, I kind of make it a priority. Like, let's get through the state, you know, like <laughs> uh, if I got to make a stop, I, you know, I, I prefer to do that in Missouri or Iowa or, 
Indiana or something like that, you know. Um, but then, you know, unfortunately, Illinois, is, I mean, it's a good sized state, but it's not like super huge. So you, you can cross it, you know, east to west or west to east in like two hours, two and a half hours, something like that. Um, done it a few times, like I said. So, you know, I just uh, travel through and I, you know, I don't stop and don't, you know, swap out my gun or chain or unload or anything like that. Just, hey, you know, under state regulation or law or whatever, blah, 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 blah. Um, I could pull it up on, you know, my phone if I had to, 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 uh, you know, show a law enforcement officer or whatever. Um, but Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, abiding by that little provision that allows me to continue carrying concealed as long as I've got a valid permit for my resident state as I am within my vehicle traveling through the state of Illinois. Um, so under 926A, so sh- since you mentioned that, um, I do want to get into the specifics more of 926A, uh, which is an important thing to understand the federal law that cut, you know, that word that, that 926A comes from. But before we do dive into that a little bit more, let, for a couple things. Number one, quick sponsorship message, ccwsafe.com is our first uh, main sponsor of today's episode you guys have probably heard us talk about ccw safe safe before i was just noting uh today that on our website right now uh we actually have uh, a website called or an article called who are ccw safe's attorneys and advisors and i'd encourage you to go check that out i think that is worthwhile to read as you learn about the ceos you know the founders of the company um, their national trial counsel, Don West, who's been on our podcast before, and and those that are members of their critical response teams, and you know, like Gary Eastridge and Rob High. I mean, two absolute giants um, of men, in my opinion. They would they're, they're both just phenomenal human beings, and you can tell that. And this is true of all of that executive team, but uh, Rob and 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 Gary are just phenomenal in that you can really care, tell that they care about their jobs and care about taking care of the members of CCW safe. But then also they have others involved. Um, so you can read more about that team and uh, those that are advising uh, the, the uh, organization that is known as CCW safe. So check out that article again, it's available. Uh, I just saw it as of today. I think you just published it today, Matthew. Yep. Um, so who are CCW safe's attorneys and advisors? Uh, I think that's, you know, really really awesome to see. And if you, as you learn more about, um, those fantastic, uh, people involved, I mean, that it it really is the case. I think you'll see why some of us, I mean, myself, Jacob, I think you have a membership, Matthew. Um, yes. Yeah. So, uh, why we, why we are members of CCW safe. So, I mean, a lot of that has to do with who's behind that company and the fact that I know they've got our backs. Check it out, ccwsafe.com. Uh, use the discount code CCPODCAST to save 10% off of the membership today. And we do appreciate your support of our sponsors that make what we do here possible. All right. So, um, and the other thing I wanted to, before we got too far into like 926A, uh, keep in mind, folks, we're going to come back and we're going to also talk about air travel more specifically later on in the episode as well. But before we moved on from the topic of uh, like reciprocity and constitutional carry, uh, I actually want to point out a couple of links I told you in our show notes. There's one that is a link to an article 
that Jacob wrote called The Ultimate Guide to Responsible Constitutional Carry. Lots of good stuff in this article. It's actually quite, it goes into quite a uh, good depth um, as far as the concept of constitutional carry and, and, and what you need to know uh, before you try to exercise your right under uh, constitutional carry, uh, whether in your home state or whether you are traveling or out and about. Um, but uh, one thing that is good to note, you know, like some people are like, yes, my state's a constitutional carry state. And so I wanted to touch on this because it's super important to understand that while we are all for constitutional carry laws, absolutely support that, have done so for many, many years, uh, as we don't think that the government should get involved in regulating that practice from the Second Amendment perspective. And frankly, when the government does get involved in having to issue permits and things like that, the requirements that are put to, you know, that are issued as part of obtaining a permit are completely arbitrary and honestly quite meaningless in so many respects. So uh, anyway, one thing though that is good to know, and so even if you live in a constitutional carry state, it is good, I think, to still pursue obtaining a permit if you can. And the reason why is because of the gun is the gun free school zones act. Mm-hmm. Um, because and it's kind of this is one thing that's not talked about, I think, enough or understood enough by concealed carriers. Because what this is is that back in 1990, a law actually signed by President Bush, it became illegal to have a firearm within a thousand feet of a school unless you're otherwise licensed by the state. All right. And so by that, a license would, you know, one thing that would qualify there would be a state or at least under state law, an issued permit for concealed carry or carrying of that firearm in some lawful manner. And so a permit is one of these critical exceptions to getting around the Gun-Free School Zones Act. And that's super important to understand because it would be really, you know, if you think of like where where I live, I mean, I can just, I could dang near throw a stone, you know, and hit a school somewhere. There's schools all over in my neighborhood. And so I can't even imagine trying to, to, you know, if I wanted to be compliant with the law, uh, I can't imagine trying to plan my routes <laughs> through, you know, trying to get from point A to point B and trying to make sure I stay more, at least a thousand feet away from a school. And frankly, it's impossible for me. Mm-hmm. Like I can't leave my property because, you know, because I'm, I, I live within a thousand feet of a school. So, <laughs> so it's, it's like actually uh, super important for me to have a concealed carry firearm or permit mm-hmm. to carry a firearm concealed. Uh, or to just have a gun, period, as I'm going about my my day-to-day activities. So that's something that's important to understand with respect to constitutional carry, why I think even though it's great to be able to exercise that right um, in your respective state that has such a law, but it's good to still have a permit, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the other thing is, is that reciprocity is going to be very different for you if you don't have a permit from state to state to state. And honestly, what like what you're going to have most likely is you're going to only really have reciprocity with other states that have constitutional carry, particularly where they apply it to non-residents of their state as well. Right. Right. So like if I'm not mistaken, Idaho that passed constitutional carry a couple of years ago, I, from my recollection, that law only is applicable to residents of Idaho. 
So um, I can't, you know, leave Colorado here, go to Idaho and be like, hey, I'm going to practice constitutional carry while I'm here because uh, it doesn't apply to me <laughs> since I'm not a resident of that state. So the other thing I want to point you to is, uh, well, actually, no, this this is the the article that, I, that, that we're going to next. All right. So again, a bunch of links in today's show notes of today's episode. This one has to do with 926A, which is interstate travel um, under the federal regulation that uh, regulates this. Uh, so Matthew, like, let's just say you're traveling through, you know, Maryland on your, your trip, like technically to comply with law and to make yourself, you know, legal. Uh, I mean, what would you have to do? Yeah, I'll, I'll just read, you know, I'll just read it. Uh, this is taken from our article, but it's from the, the act. Uh, so you, you get the verbiage directly from the law. So it says, notwithstanding any other provision of any law or any rule or any regulation of a state or any political subdivision thereof, any person who is not otherwise prohibited by this chapter from transporting, shipping, or receiving a firearm shall be entitled to transport a firearm or any law for any lawful purpose for any from any place where he may lawfully possess and carry such firearm to any other place where he may lawfully possess and carry such firearm. If during such transportation, the firearm is unloaded and neither the firearm nor any ammunition being transported is readily acceptable or is directly accessible from the passenger compartment of such transporting vehicle, provided that in the case of a vehicle without a compartment separate from the driver's compartment, like an SUV or something like that, uh, the firearm or ammunition shall be contained in a locked container other than the glove compartment or console. Console. Um, yep. So, yeah, so you, you have to have some sort of, you know, lock device, locking device, like a like a safe that you can lock that you can't readily access it and that the ammunition is not accessible either. Right. And um, it has to be unloaded. And so um, this creates. Or chuck it in the, in the <laughs> trunk. <if you> have <laughs> right. But more and more vehicles these days don't have trunks. Exactly. There's, so there's so many of these utility vehicles and crossovers and, and, yeah, and SUVs. And, and the problem is, is that like, you know, it puts you in a weird position, uh, you know, so if you think practically, it sounds great on paper, but like practically speaking, if you, you know, don't know where that state line is, or there's not an exit and you go into that state line, you've already crossed over. Um, I mean, you, are you going to pull off at the next exit? Right. And then pull up in some gas station parking lot and start unloading and your, your firearm in the back of your car, it's a, you know, it, it creates a situation where um, it puts you at a, at, at a disadvantage and might, you know, if people see that, right, this dude's pulling out a gun in the gas station parking lot. Um, it, it's just, it's not ideal. It's not a great, great situation. Surely you could do it in your vehicle, right? Put it in a, in a lock box or something like that. But if you don't have that, uh, I, I ran into a situation where I was transport. I had, I was dr driving an SUV full of people. I had, I had uh, seven other people in the vehicle. I couldn't just like start unloading in the vehicle and like do all this stuff. So um, it, it, you know, you, it creates uh, some trouble trying to to do it legally, but that's that's what the law is. And yeah. I kind of touch on this that there are some 
there have been some instances where now now this is a this is affirmative defense so you basically you know if you're stopped you kind of have to prove that you're not that you are going to a destination uh that that is not you know that you are legally allowed to carry um if you can't prove that they can kind of you're almost guilty until proven innocent and in some cases people have been arrested even because you know they've crossed over into uh, a state that that didn't allow firearms um and and they get stopped and uh so it it, it created while it's a good law and i'm glad it's there and it protects you it's not like a i guess it's not like a get out of jail free where you can just kind of flaunt it and and the police are, are can't do anything because if you can't say that hey i'm just stopping to get gas or i'm just stopping because i un, i have to unload my gun or whatever um and it, it, you could be arrested and and there have been instances where that's happened and it it, it kind of sucks uh that that the law is kind of written not written that way but that's the way it's interpreted and that's the way it's enforced in some areas. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I know some people will probably like be like, well, Hey, you know, it's concealed is concealed. And uh, you know, how would they know I'm carrying concealed and I'm just going to, you know, not say anything and not draw attention to myself and so forth. Uh, and just, you know, go about my, my merry way. You know, the second amendment is my permit, which mm-hmm. by the way, I, I totally can relate to. It's just that, you know, it's like, how much of an example do you want to make yourself? And again, I know a lot of people will be like, well, you know, nothing's going to happen. I'm just going to you know, be careful and do my thing and all will be fine. But let's suppose while you're traveling through this state where you're not permitted to legally carry said firearm, you get in an accident. That's not something you, you can guarantee won't happen or that you can predict because uh, it might not even necessarily be your fault and it may be something that you can't avoid. And so next thing you know, you're involved in an accident. Perhaps you're injured enough to where you require medical intervention. And during the course of receiving said intervention, um, because you're incapacitated, you're severely injured, you're uh, knocked unconscious, whatever, obviously at some point, the firearm that you're carrying on yourself will have to be removed by by uh, emergency, you know, uh, res- responders. And so uh, next thing you know, guess what? Somebody's, you know, police are going to find out that you were carrying a gun and that will be investigated, especially if it's one of these not so friendly two a states, New Jersey. Yep. Or Maryland. <laughs> or DC. Right. You know, and so something that you cannot predict, something you cannot guarantee will not happen, could absolutely happen while you are in that other state, while you are, you know, playing the don't ask, don't tell policy. And, uh, and, and then, you know, something that's out of your control. And next thing you know, you're facing charges. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now again, all right, you know, Hey, second amendment, man. Yeah. All right. Well, now we got a court case. I hope you win it. All right. Mm-hmm. And I hope you're the next McDonald or Heller or Brown. Okay. You know, because I'd love to see that, that case law expanded uh, even further, you know, as far as the right to carry and possess and own a firearm and where you can have it and where you can carry. I mean, I'd love to see 50 state constitutional carry 100%. Absolutely. Do away with this, you know, permit nonsense and, 
whatnot. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in a position because of who I am and what I have to be concerned with in my life where I'm willing to frankly take that kind of risk because I've got five relatively young kids and a wife that depend upon me. And, uh, you know, I got other people at work here that depend on, upon me. So I have to be responsible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, guess what? There are still other defensive tools available to me that I can, uh, maybe not all those states, but many of those states where I can't carry a gun can still have other defensive tools available to me. So just some things to consider. And I like to present that that alternative perspective, you know, from the, because I hear people, you know, like to talk big and tough about, yeah, well, it's the Second Amendment and I'm still going to do whatever um, because it's my right and they're not going to find out. Well, you cannot guarantee that. So think on that a little bit. Yeah. Maybe that'll play into your risk uh, aversion strategy. Yeah. I mean, imagine, imagine being like, you know, you're on vacation with your family driving through a state and you get arrested. I mean, that you might, it might be on principle, you want to fight it and stand up and that, but like, it's certainly going to be an in, in an opportune moment, right. To, to take on this legal fight against the, the powers that be. Um, and I'm not saying not to do it. I'm not saying be cowardice. If, if you want to fight it, fight it. But like, you know, um, do take into, into consideration those things. And, and another thing is, is some of these States also um, prohibit high capacity magazines. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, now some of those bans don't necessarily ban people that possess them that are tr- tr- passing through or there might be worded a little weird where you know you can't buy them but you can possess them or it, all kinds of weird stuff but or it's I like mean, california where all of that was thrown into disarray when they had their freedom week because <laughs> there was a temporary injunction on a law that then meant that you know it's kind of this brief sunsetting period where you know people could suddenly buy uh, all kinds of magazines and, and so, yeah anyway, yeah so there's all those weird kind of things but Continue, yeah. Continue. No, it, it just that's the point. Is just, it, I mean, you really have to know if you're going to travel. Just to to be smart, um, just know know as best as much of the laws you can. In most of the states, if you go to the state attorney general website, you can find concealed carry laws. You can find gun laws on there, um, and it, it might not be easy. Um, but we have, we have, I think a a really great resource on the app, our gun tools app that gives these key kind of, um, uh, you know, things that concealed carriers or people with firearms traveling through states need to know, like, does it have a, does it have, uh, capacity magazine capacity? Uh, does it, do you have a duty to notify law enforcement? Um, is there, you know, a uh, standard ground law, uh, all these types of things that are all relevant and might be very difficult to research on their own. Um, but we kind of do that and give it in a, in a pretty concise way on our concealed carry gun tools app. So that might be a very valuable resource for you. If you travel, I know I use it personally, um, when I travel. I absolutely do as well. Uh, it's a great resource. And again, links and show notes for these various uh, resources and things. You'll find a link in the show notes of today's episode, uh, concealedcarry.com forward slash mobile app. Uh, and that's a nifty little link because it'll auto detect 
uh, whichever, you know, if you're using a an Apple mobile device or an Android-based uh, mobile device and uh, send you to the appropriate uh, app store uh, where you can download the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. Uh, that It is my number one resource, and I use it every time I'm on the road, uh, at the very least, to review, hey, as I'm going through state such and such, like, here's a good one to know. Okay, what states require notification to law enforcement uh, as soon as you're stopped? You know, it could be part of a trap. Uh, in the most likely scenario, obviously, is like a traffic stop. Uh, does that state require me to notify the officer I am, you know, in possession of a firearm or that I'm carrying or that I have a permit? Could be any number of those uh, combinations. And that's good to know. And that's one thing I like to refresh my memory on and know ahead of time because it's good to know. You don't want to be like fumbling in the moment, like, oh, am I supposed to? You know, am I supposed to uh, uh, declare this or what? You know, so the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app, concealedcarry.com forward slash mobile app is the link for that. Uh, okay, speaking of another link, I'm going to give another link here of our other episode sponsor, which is KSG Armory Holsters. Head on over to ksgarmory.com for what we think are the, I mean, we're a little bit biased, no offense, you know, but but uh, we're very proud to be associated with uh, to actually, frankly, own as one of our concealedcarry.com brands, KSG Armory, and, which we've, I mean, was already a company that was, had a strong reputation in the industry for making quality holster products that serious professionals use. And even if you're not a serious professional, you want to be using a quality, properly retaining, safe, and yet consistently easy to access holster to carry your gun in ksg armory is your place to pick one up go to ksgarmory.com use the discount code cc podcast to save 10 percent off of your next holster purchase from ksg armory we do appreciate your support of our sponsors and of us all right so there you go ksg armory holsters another sponsor today actually our title sponsor of uh, the Concealed Carry podcast now. Okay, so uh, a couple more things here. Let's, uh, we could spend a little bit more time, probably honestly, breaking down the concept of 926A, uh, but I think we hit all the high points pretty well. One other critical one to really know would, and this probably is not super likely for a lot of folks out there, but because we talked about the firearms, you know, and what you have to do, by the way, to make it compliant under 926A, unloaded, uh, either locked away in a hard-sided container or in, in a separate compartment of the vehicle from the passenger compartment. Uh, I like to travel with a quick access safe or vault, or at the very least, something like a Pelican case, like a small Pelican case. You know, one of my favorites is actually this that small um, vault uh, hard-sided case. It's a, you know, it's the sub-brand of Pelican, kind of the more value-priced Pelican brand. And I've got one of those kind of, you could actually fit like two guns in there pretty comfortably. Uh, and it's a, it's a solid little case, uh, foam padded inside, hard sided, good hinges on it. Good, uh, 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 you know, like reinforced holes. So you put locks through. So, you know, you know, it's like really secured. And so that's actually probably the thing. I mean, I usually have a quick access vault in my vehicle, no matter what, but that little vault, uh, Pistol case is super, super handy for these types of things as well, or for air travel even as well. So uh, something to kind of keep in mind and plan, you know, make sure you have kind of like on your packing list, if you will, for upcoming travel. If you, if you know you're going to have a situation where you're going to have to uh, 
you know, un- unarm yourself, take your gun off and unload it and lock it away. Or at the very least, it's good to have something like that, uh, particularly from a security standpoint, if you are doing travel and you've got, you know, young ones. Uh, and you got to be mindful because I'm, you know, I, I may not have that gun on me at all times, uh, even just in, in, the, in the hotel room. If I want to relax and, and, you know, chill with my kids, uh, I've got a quick access vault that I'm going to have with me on that trip so I can properly and safely store my firearm even when I'm in the hotel room or not in the hotel room. Uh, so the point is even when I'm not carrying the gun and uh, whatnot. So some things to consider there. But the probably the last big thing uh, that I think we'll have time to talk about here today, and this is one that comes up all the time, is air travel with a firearm how to do it, how to do it properly, how to do it safely, how to avoid trouble um, during, you know, traveling by air. There's enough trouble out there for us to have to worry about anyway, you know, with respect to (laughs) delays and cancellations, which seem to be a major trend as of late uh, to dealing with lost luggage, et cetera. Like the last thing I want to be worried about is some kind of trouble with traveling and flying with a firearm and or ammunition. And so it is something that I have done quite a bit of. Matthew's done quite a bit as well. Um, I've been actually, this year has been a little bit different. I haven't done as many flights this year as I have previous years. Uh, Lately, I've been doing more driving, but uh, uh, in previous years, man, there's been times I've, you know, dang near at least like I probably averaged, you know, once a month where I was having to fly somewhere with a firearm. So, um, the big thing to know is, and this is this link's available in the show notes of today's episode, uh, but I'll reference it here right now, that the TSA has on their website uh, a page called Transport- Transporting Firearms and Ammunition. Uh, so that's... Uh, that's something that's good to you know have. I like to have it bookmarked in my browser on my even on my mobile device, so I can access it quickly if need to at the airport. Um, I haven't. No, I think there's been one time where I've done this, and it wasn't even for like a big huge issue, but it did, it was helpful to be able to point to this uh, while going through security or actually declaring my firearm. But uh, one thing that's important to know is that you got to transport firearms unloaded. Like that's a given. Uh, and it says right here, you may transport unloaded firearms in a locked hard sided container as checked baggage only. Okay. You must declare the firearm and or ammunition to the airline when checking your bag at the ticket counter. All right. So you can't do curbside or anything. Like you got to go to the actual airline ticket counter and be like, I'm declaring a firearm and or ammunition. The, fi- the container, this hard-sided, locked, hard-sided container, must be must sec- completely secure the firearm from being accessed. Where people get in trouble here is they, like, let's say you have a, a plastic case that technically is hard-sided. And may, it may even be fairly secure, but maybe it has, you know, two locking points on it, two, you know, hasps or whatever, or holes where you're supposed to put, supposed to put locks through. And, but you only put one lo- one lock in one of those holes. And actually, because the case has some flex to it, as you unlock the uh, you know the clasps or whatever, but you know, but the lock is still secured. You can still sometimes some of those cases pry one end or one corner up, perhaps enough to where that you you could actually snake the gun out of that case. It's honestly going to be a little bit up to the discretion of the TSA and or the airline. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. But, and because there's a little bit of a gray area here, because it just says locked cases that can be easily opened are not permitted. So what is easily open and how easily open, you know, mm-hmm. is it kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? So that's good to know. And then yeah. be, be, be aware that the container the farm was in when purchased may not adequately secure the farm when it's transported and checked baggage. Some people like to use those plastic cases the firearm was sold with. Uh, sometimes they just aren't good enough for this purpose. So good to know. I like to use these, uh, again, like the vault Pelican uh, case. Uh, that, that thing works great for this purpose. It certainly complies. I've never had an issue with that. It does have two holes for locks. I make sure that I put two locks on it when I'm using that. And so, yeah, that's, that's probably the, like, that's the, that's the number one big thing. And by the way, uh, when they say unloaded firearm, that means, and it's actually stated in the the, reg, the actual law as it's written and appears on the Code of Federal Regulations, that that means no ammunition, okay, nothing in the chamber, but also there's not a magazine. Even mm-hmm. an unloaded magazine cannot be in the firearm itself. Okay, so obviously empty chamber, no ammo in the gun, no magazine in the gun. And that constitutes unloaded, and then it's in a locked hard-sided container that's not easily opened. Yeah, yeah. And my my suggestion is just if there's any doubt about can you access the gun, just just get a better case because you don't want to get into semantics with a TSA clerk that has that you know thinks that if you can just pry it open a little bit that that's easily accessible. And, you know, you're trying to explain to them that you can't get the gun out, you miss your flight or whatever, like, it's best not to jeopardize your trip um, by, you know, just saying, well, this is, this is good enough, like, make sure that there's no question about it. Um, And, you know, because the person that's at the at the counter, it's, it's quite possible that they've, they They've seen guns, they've checked guns in, but they don't know a thing about them. Um, and so you might be, you know, you might think that the person has some common sense about, you know, uh, a gun being unloaded or whatever, but they're not. I mean, I had a barrel block in my gun and the person almost freaked out. And I'm like, I, you know, the, the gun is unloaded. It's it's to make the gun safe. And they're like, no, there's something in there and you got to take it out. <laughs> yeah. So don't even like don't don't try to like put any twists into it because you never know. And, and, and another thing just to be aware of is that when you when you check your bag in at the at the counter, which you'll have to do, um, you won't be able to pick it up. It won't come out with the carousel with the rest of the bags. They're going to pull it off to the side and you're going to have to go uh, to the, the baggage office to pick that up and they'll release it to you. So um, if, you know, if, usually, if, yeah, that's usually the, this is the case. There are <laughs> I have had bags with firearms checked in them actually just come out on the carousel. Yeah, I've but, never. But what you're describing is is what I see most of the time, <laughs> not all, all of the time. Yeah, and and this is the thing, right? Like the airlines. I, I mean, the airlines have some some, I guess, discretion on how they do things. As long as it's, you know, they're they're doing. I mean, let's put it this way: 
people, I, I'm not going to say who it was, but I know somebody very close to me who it wasn't me who happened to carry a knife in onto the plane, didn't even realize they had a folding knife until they got to their destination, destination or like, I, I went to two flights and security and I had a folding knife in my pocket. And so things happen, things get through. Um, but in general, if you are on a flight and you don't have to carry, you, you know, you're, you're questioning, Hey, uh, it's a, it's a business flight. I'm going to be there a day. And I don't know if I'm going to want to carry my gun or not. Um, you know, take into consideration these things of like, you know, you may have a little bit of delay at the, at the counter, checking your bags in, you might have a little bit of delay getting your bags. Um, and, and so, um, just, just to be aware of those things, maybe you have to leave earlier maybe or, or whatnot, but, um, yeah. It, it it might it, I don't want to you know scare anybody away because it's it, it there is a process and you can go through it very, relatively quickly but there is a little bit more of a delay than just kind of getting your boarding pass and getting it on your phone and kind of cruising through everything. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's talk about locks real quick, just so folks know that if they're not familiar familiar already. Uh, so you actually can use any lock. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that sometimes people don't realize. They they think they have to have a TSA approved lock, uh, but actually it says that you can use. And I'm I'm going to read right from this here. Uh, it says that uh, you may use any brand or type of lock to secure your firearm case, including TSA recognized locks. So uh, I I actually prefer to not use TSA recognized or approved locks or whatever. Uh, I, I like to be, I mean, it says here that only the passenger should retain the key or combination to the lock unless TSA personnel request the key. I, I like to be the one that's in control of that. But I also have a friend that he, he doesn't want to deal with the hassle. And so he actually uses a TSA lock on his. And I'm like, all right, it's cool. You know? Um, so now the other, the flip side of that is, is if you are using a lock, uh, and I think this is why he wants to avoid that potential hassle. There are instances where TSA is frankly so lazy that um, when they need, when they decide for whatever reason, they need to actually, you know, take a look inside your case uh, without you being present. And uh, they just, you know, Hey, we're going to inspect this. Uh, and it doesn't have a TSA approved or recognized lock, uh, they'll just cut the locks off mm-hmm. and do it, you know? And it's like, yeah, that's not cool. So yeah, there's, there's kind of pros and cons. I think to both sides, uh, I've mostly had pretty good success. I, I mean, I've not really had any major troubles with this kind of thing. Um, I also use locks that I only have the key for and the way those locks fit around the, the whole on my lock lockable case uh it these are basically like you'd have to basically cut the case around like because it's a plastic case you'd basically have to cut around the lock to actually like you're not cutting the lock there's not enough clearance to get any any kind of tool in there to do that um and so yeah uh i will say that my life got way simpler when I moved to a model where here, here's how I actually handle it. So I'm going to describe this. I've probably talked about it before on the podcast, but it's probably been a while and probably not all of you heard that. 
here is my procedure for air travel with a fire. I actually use for at least one of my check bags and sometimes more than one of my check bags is this way. I actually use a Pelican case, a Pelican Air 1615 model. I have another one that's a 1606 model. Uh, both Pelican Airs, the Air designation uh, is that these are actually Pelican cases, but they're, they're lightened versions. They're still very strong, they're still waterproof or whatever, but they're, they're like 40% lighter than a standard case of a similar size. So, you know, that's important because I don't want to have a super heavy case. That means less capacity in terms of weight. Because, um, you know, you're either limited to 40 or 50 pounds, depending on the, the carrier. So um, here, here's what's beautiful about using a Pelican case. That entire checked bag complies with, you know, the, the, the requirement for it to be a locked, hard-sided case that's not easily opened or accessed. And so it actually at that point, it doesn't matter where within that case or how within that case I put the gun. And so I used to travel with a checked bag where I used a hard-sided locked case inside the checked bag. But now my entire case, my entire checked bag is the hard-sided locked case. And so I actually just use my standard range bag and I leave the firearm exactly where usually it would be, which is soft and padded and protective. And uh, I, I just, I lock up the Pelican case and that's what gets, gets checked. Now, every once in a while it throws off a gate check agent a little bit or, or a check baggage agent, you know, like when you're declaring it at the, at the counter there and they're like, well, where's the locked case? And I'm like, this whole thing is the locked case. I did have one agent that was kind of confused by that concept until someone a bit more experienced came over. They're like, oh no, he's in compliance. This is, this is not an issue here. Cause they, I think they were expecting me to have within that hard sided locked Pelican case, another hard sided locked case. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that's what I do, and it simplifies my travel greatly, um, and it also secures all the other things inside with that that firearm. And that's actually the reason I like it is that it's one way. When you are just tr transporting a checked bag, you know, and and maybe you have you know clothing, but and other personal belongings, including maybe some things that are somewhat valuable, um, you can only use a TSA recognized lock to secure that checked bag, and those are relatively easily defeated and. Um, you might end up missing some things when you travel across the country somewhere. Yeah. Um, for me, the advantage with using a Pelican case like that is that has that Pelican case has to be locked, and I get the advantage of it actually being locked with non-DSA locks. And all the other things that are inside that case along with my gun are also secured. And so I like that approach. And then, so I have uh, the 1615 model is kind of the biggest size that you're technically allowed to check without additional fees. And then I have a, an intermediate size, the 1606 model that I also frequently travel with. And even if I don't have to, Matthew, a lot of times I'll tuck away a throwaway gun, you know, if you want to call it that for, for kicks and giggles, like my basic Smith & Wesson 442 revolver or Ruger LCP something like that, that I'm like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't shed too many tears if that somehow went missing. A lot of times, even though I don't have to, I will put another checked gun in the 1606 case. So now I'm effectively checking two bags with checked firearms in each bag. 
uh, and they're both locked and secured. And uh, I, I just declare them, you know, and yeah, I, I, I like that because then I know there's a higher probability of all my things that are checked on the plane getting to the destination, at least without it being breached. There's always the possibility of the bag being lost. <laughs> Fortunately, I haven't had that happen yet. Uh, I have had gun friends traveling with guns have their bags go missing but uh fortunately all those ones that i know of so far have eventually had their bags found <laughs> well I, I and i've never done this but i know of some people who have put those air tags in like up into the magazine uh well area and kind of secured it in there um yes. just as you know i mean not to say that there would even be people that would steal bags from airlines and take the clothing certainly not some nuclear dude that was you know part of the white house staff they would never do anything like that but um i'm just saying i know people who have done who have taken uh those air tags and put them in there um, i put air tags in everything yeah so i'm traveling with and i put them in i don't go so far as to tucking it away in the magwell but i i disguise um where the air tags will be uh so that they are less likely to be found and discovered and yeah. uh yeah and, and one other thing that uh, just dawned on me is is important to to uh remind everybody is that if you you know if you have a cert gun or even a blue gun or it's a airsoft gun or something like that all of these things you can't take them on the plane um i know it's a Blue gun is a piece of plastic, um, but you need like it's. It, it even says, I think, uh, somewhere on on that uh, something says about replica replicas. firearms, including firearm replicas that are toys, yeah. may be transported in checked baggage only. Yeah. So, again, this is one of those things where like it's best just to err on the side of caution and check the stuff so you don't get into yeah. a problem at the gate. Um, and so I, I and he, so here are the few things that I know of that you can actually carry with you on the plane that is firearm related. One, optics. Optics are actually permitted. Uh, holsters, you know, empty holsters, mag pouches, gun belts. I know some com competitive shooting friends that uh, clip on their their gun belt with holster mag pouches, everything right onto the, say like their backpack or whatever they're considering as their personal item, carry item, you know, to, to take on the plane. Uh, those are items that you can carry onto the plane, but firearm parts, magazines, clips, bolts, firing pins, parts of those or components of those things I just listed, firearm replicas, cert pistols, blue guns, airsoft guns, uh, etc. Check baggage only. Locked yeah, up, just like you would with a firearm. It, and and lest you think that this like this whole thing about you know TSA and stuff or like overblowing it. In uh, I just pulled up the statistic in twenty two two thousand twenty two TSA confiscated it says more than six thousand five hundred forty two firearms from airport passengers the highest number recorded since the agency's inception and I, and and 
potentially this has a lot to do with new gun owners, you know, a lot of new gun owners during COVID and maybe constitutional carry where people have possessed firearms and, and, you know, they're, they, they're not being taught the law and things like that. So this is why that constitutional carry article is kind of important because it, it points out these things and, um, you know, podcasts like this, hopefully you share it with somebody who's maybe a new gun owner or travels a lot and they never thought about these things. Um, so they don't get jammed up because it's probably, uh, you know, pretty hefty fine. And, um, I know some of the States even, um, wanted to, uh, revoke, I think it was Pennsylvania. I saw, uh, they were revoking people's concealed carry licenses if they, um, you know, w- went up to TSA and forgot that their yep. firearm was there. Yep. And, and so, um, it has ramifications. It's unfortunately easier to do than people probably realize. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's not something I'm too concerned about personally because I don't really transport guns around unless it's like in a range bag or in a, in a gun type case. Um, so I'm, I'm talking about like people that end up at security with their backpacks or briefcases or something and have a gun forgotten about inside. <laughs> That's not me, man. Like the, the gun's either in a bag, a range bag or a case, or it's on me or it's in my safe at home kind of thing, you know? So yeah. I don't worry about that, but I do worry a little bit about ammunition and, you know, having a, a sneaky little round, you know, that I missed or forgot about uh, as I try to go through security. And so I, I've just learned, you know, this, I just, even though it's extra work and takes extra time, I go through the extra process of basically, uh, you know, sanitizing my, my clothing and my bags. And by that, I mean, sanitizing in the way that I go through the bag and check all the pockets and all the nooks and all the crannies and all that. Uh, anything that's not going to be in the check bag, anything that's going to pass with me through security, I just take the extra time to go through and try to make sure. And to this day, I, I mean, I have found rounds. I have found rounds. I'm saying, I, I'm not saying I haven't not caught myself with this, but because I had this policy in place, I have yet to go to security and have a live round somewhere. Uh, in my possession as I did that. And so I'm fortunate for that as much shooting and everything I do. Um, something that sometimes happens is, you know, you're just on the range and, and whether it's a part of you, uh, you know, loading, unloading mags, et cetera, or around you pick up off the ground and you just stow in a pocket. Uh, I've definitely had random rounds where I'm like reaching my pocket, including a cargo pocket on pants or shorts and be like, Oh snap, here's around, you know, it'd be really easy to miss that and go through security. Speaking of ammunition with respect to air travel, uh, read the TSA guidelines. The link again is in the show notes. I'm going to hit a couple of high points here. Uh, does it say fire magazines and ammunition clips, whether loaded or empty, must so it implies that they can be loaded. Mm. Must be securely boxed or included within a hard-sided case containing an unloaded firearm. Uh, so magazines got to be locked up okay just like anything else um you know respective you know just like the firearm okay um small arms ammunition uh need to be packaged in cardboard packaging wood packaging plastic or metal boxes designed to carry specifically ammunition and declared to your to your airline uh ammunition may be transported in the same hard-sided locked case as the firearm 
if it's packaged as we just described. Um, you cannot use fire magazines or clips for packaging ammunition unless they completely enclose the ammunition. That's a def definition that's a little bit loose, I think, Matthew, because in my experience, TSA has no problem with uh, standard semi-automatic style uh, pistol mags that have am ammunition. In. The airline might not like it, and that varies from airline to airline. But I have not seen where it's an issue for TSA to have loaded mags um, going, you know, in your check bag that, again, is locked and hard-sided. Yeah. Um, firearm magazines or ammunition clips, whether loaded or empty, must be boxed or included within a hard-sided locked case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so ammunition can't be carried on. We know that. It's got to be transport check baggage. It needs to be declared. Um, and your airline will have different limits or specific limits on how much in weight of ammunition you can have. Most of them are right around 11 pounds, just so you know. One exception I know is Alaska Airlines, which is up to 50 pounds in a single hmm. bag. Yeah. So, And I, I know we're, we're almost running out of time, but I yep. think there's one more thing I just want to, and you guys research this on your own. Uh, I don't know how much time we have to go into it, but um, consider – connecting flights or where you're going because yeah. if you end up in a situation where your flight gets uh, a connecting flight and, and and that next flight gets delayed or canceled and you need to get a hotel or something and they give you your bag or something like that there have been instances where people have ended up in states where they're not allowed to possess a firearm or um, you know that type of firearm and then all of a sudden you know they're stranded or they get they you know, they, it's not their fault that they ended up there, but now, um, you know, it's hey, come with me. You have this possession of this, this firearm in, you know, and, um, and so there, there have been instances of that happening. And so it's just something to be cautious about and, and, and aware of don't receive your bag at the, at, at the very least, don't receive your bag. And if you get delayed, go right to the counter and say, Hey, look, this is, this is a situation. Like I, you know, uh, I need a, uh, you, you, it happened to you. Um, maybe not exactly the same way, but, um, I, I remember a story you, you said about you and Jacob, um, kind of getting stranded out in the, the East block over there, uh, with some ARs and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the thing there was trying to fly out of New Hampshire, New Hampshire, right? And um, major delay, cancel, ultimately cancellation of that particular flight. And we had to get on the next. Well, they were trying to send us down to Boston. And I don't know how that would have gone for sure um, if we had gone down to Boston and declared, you know, because we had ARs with us. We had pistols. We had, you know, numerous high, you know, according to Massachusetts, anyway, high capacity <laughs> magazines and so forth. And, uh, but definitely seemed prudent to not go down to, you know, cause this was like uh, Manchester, New Hampshire airport. Boston's like less than an hour away by, by bus or taxi or whatever. They're like, we are going to stick you on a taxi and send you down to Boston and fly out of Boston. And we're like, mm, we'd rather <laughs> not do that. Uh, they may not like what we have with us. And the cool thing was that the, uh, the gate agent, because this this happened all right at the gate after we'd been waiting around for hours for this delayed uh, plane. It was a plane maintenance issue. Um, they were super cool. They're like, oh, yeah, um, tell you what, you guys fly out tomorrow morning. Is that okay? We're like, yep, 
okay, we'll put you up in a hotel, you know? So we stuck with the plan and cost us some time. Unfortunately, it cost us, you know, uh, could have gotten out of there that evening from Boston or the next morning out of Manchester, but definitely it was worth, um, having, you know, our wits about ourselves and planning alternatively making sure that, uh, we weren't, you know, doing anything, um, that might have gotten us hung up anywhere, yeah. including, you know, in, in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, it's so ironic to me, Matthew, that the place that everything, this all started, Yep. you know, is, <laughs> is not a gun-friendly place anymore. But anyway, yeah, yeah, good good point there. Solid point. Um, people have definitely had experiences where they're traveling one place, they think they're good, and they're, you know, they have an emergency diversion. Maybe it's weather-related. Maybe it's a medical emergency on that plane. They're like, nope, we're going to land now. And you, next thing you know, you have an unplanned stop in, I don't know, LaGuardia <laughs> or Newark or something like that, right? And... Yeah, uh, that could be sticky, and it could definitely be sticky in in New York City. Yeah, uh, in a big way because, um, and, and I'll I, I I honestly I still wonder about that myself. Um, I have heard stories of, you know, New York police that were aware of people land, you know, like they're basically watching people pick up bags at baggage claim and they know that that one's got a gun and they know, you know, if that person comes and grabs that, bam, they're, they're right there and they're arresting you kind of thing. Um, I honestly think that if I had some kind of emergency like that, where I was not planning on spending time in New York city and suddenly I am, and I had a check bag with a gun in it before I went to the baggage claim, I think I would actually go find a police officer and, be like, yo, um, we got an issue here because mm-hmm. this was not part of the plan. Uh, I was forced to land here. You need to, you know, I, I know what the law here is. You need to help guide me through this now. Yeah. And by the way, you'd be, uh, it would be illegal for you to confiscate my stuff, but let's find a, a solution here, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, Fortunately, you don't have to actually worry about that in, in very many places um, in this country. Uh, New York is actually the only one I'm really aware of where it's like NYPD works closely with TSA and like they actually nab people for violations at the airport. Um, most other places, like it's it's not like that. People have commented to me about, well, what happens if I fly into or out of Colorado? Uh, you guys all have like your 15 round mag capacity limit law there. And I'm like, bro, there's nobody at the airport watching or caring. TSA don't care. So anyway, yeah, we have gone over a little over time, but this is a large topic. Uh, we have talked about some of the stuff before, but we thought it's a good time to revisit and maybe hit on a couple things. Maybe we haven't before. I don't know. Um, Again, please check out the show notes of today's episode for a bunch of resources, links, articles, etc. Things we've referenced here today. Um, you're going to want to, you know, have a game plan before you travel out of state or across country or by air. Uh, know how to do it. Know how to do it responsibly. Know how to do it safely. Know how to do it without getting yourself in handcuffs. Uh, so we hope this is helpful for you and a good resource, even in this, own, even in this episode itself. Uh, 
please feel free to share this with your friends, family, coworkers, others that you know are like-minded and likely have some of the same questions you do with respect to travel, a gun. Uh, we hope that you'll share the podcast and some of these resources with them as well. Again, today's episode sponsor is CCW Safe and KSG Army Holsters. It was also mentioned, and actually Matthew originally had this slated, I think, for an episode sponsorship, although it's not really so much a sponsorship, but I thought it would be great just to include it in the show notes, a reference to the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. And so, again, you'll see that in the – here's the app right here loading on my phone for those of you watching. Uh, there's my reciprocity – oh, that's actually the laws – Here's my reciprocity map right there. Bam, right at my fingertips. Download the app, concealedcarry.com forward slash mobile app. Thanks for you guys' uh, support of the podcast and for being here with us today. Until next time. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.